0: Thanks, Sile. We'll see you at the bottom of the hour. Five minutes past twelve. This is a Midday Live on SFM 104-107. Some of the top stories here, Police uh, Minister Natim Tetra saying that uh, uh, Police uh, Commissioner, General... Ria is going nowhere uh, until after the conclusion of uh, investigation, the Independent Police Investigative Directorate is uh, investigating allegations that uh, she may have uh, compromised uh, a police investigation so you know about that story, but uh, there you go uh, Police Minister Natan Teto saying uh, she is going nowhere It's also interesting to note that uh, the Office of the ANC Chief Whip uh, in Parliament yesterday wrote to uh, the Speaker of the National Assembly requesting him to consider advice the Public Protector Advocate Tulima Donzella to submit a report on her investigation into the upgrade of uh, President Jacob Zuma's uh, residence in Ghandla to Parliament. You may remember that uh, the Public Protector expressed a dilemma in the media pertaining to where her report should be submitted. So there you go. Uh, it must go uh, to uh, the, the to Parliament. Uh, that's what uh, the, the National, rather the ANC in Parliament is saying. Just some of the stories happening right here on uh, SFM 104-107 Two of the 37 state witnesses who testified during the Buremach trial with the understanding that they will get indemnity for the roles they played in the plot have been denied indemnity by the North Gauteng High Court in Pretoria. Judge Judan ruled that the two men were not trustworthy or open and honest with the court. This follows 12 of the convicted Buremach members having asked the court yesterday to declare them fit to own firearms. The group was automatically declared unfit to own firearms when they were found guilty of high treason last year. For more on this now, let's say good afternoon to our reporter Leila Mahnas, Hello. Good afternoon let's first talk about the the first part of, of this story that uh, they have been denied indemnity perhaps uh, help us understand uh, the, the plea bargain that was that was uh, struck between the state and and uh, the the, 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 Puremach, uh, the uh, prison trials, and and also why are they being denied indemnity now
1: you see in terms of um, article two of the Criminal Procedures Act um, the state can go to a person who's uh, involved in the crime, like in this case, the Budermach, some of the people who were uh, key role players in the Mach, and they they allowed to go to that person and say, will you testify for the state to make the state's case stronger against the other people and then in turn, if you are open and honest in your testimony and you uh, um, tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth while you testify, then we will you know, basically pardoned your crimes, the the part that you played in this plot, if I can put it that way. So there were 37 of these witnesses that the state used during the trial. And Judge Ebenjordan found today that two of them, um, it is um, Mirjohannes van Dijk and Blackie Swat, were not trustworthy and they were not open to the court. Van Dijk testified about explosives that the Buramacht stored on his farm Judge Ebony found that there was no way that Fandait did not know what was in the containers when members of the Boodermacht came to his house um, and asked if they could leave the containers in his storeroom. He said um, he he finds it difficult to believe that um, some parts of Fandait's evidence or some part of the incident he can remember very well and other parts he said, well, you know, he can't really remember. Um, And he said he just, you know, he just found that this witness was not trustworthy. With Blackie Swart, he said uh, more or less the same thing. Blackie Swart testified about how he rented cars um, which would be converted into motor bombs, how he went to, um, you know, look at certain targets they wanted to blow up. And the judge also found that, you know, he was not a trustworthy witness because uh, Swart, uh, some of the other witnesses testified that Swart spoke at some of the meetings. And Swart would then say, well, you know, I remember I was at the meeting, but I can't remember that I spoke there. I can't remember what I said. And it's things like this that uh, Judge Ebony van just found, you know, they they were not open. with the court when they were testified so he denied them their application for indemnity.
0: So after all this has been said and done what happens to the two? Are they now going to, are we going to see a new trial for them separate from from the rest of the Burimah uh, 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 accused?
1: We asked the state advocate Paul Fook what is the next step and he said what they will have to do now is they will have to start compiling a docket against these two men and then determine, you know, how much evidence they have against them, how strong is their case, and then based on that, they will decide what they are going to charge them with.
0: All right. And, and, and the role that was uh, played by uh, Swart and uh, Dake in, in the plot to assassinate former President Nelson Mandela and overthrowing the state, can you elaborate on that?
1: Well, uh so was not part of that part of that plot and um smart not either. If you remember correctly it was basically the bomb squad who was part of that. Um, it was the three Pretorius brothers, um, Rudy van van Rudy House and Airman van der Weyen, um, under the leadership of Tom Foster. They were the guys who were involved with that plot.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Lila Makhnas, uh, our reporter in Pretoria, 10 minutes past 12, midday live, SAFM 104 to 107. We go now to the northwest where the ANC there has begun its least conference in Hammanskral, outside Pretoria. The conference is expected to choose candidates who will represent the provincial structure at the national parliament and at the provincial legislature. The alliance partners have urged the ANC to use this conference to pave the way for a more united organization. It is understood that some of the MECs who were expelled when Tandingodese became the premier of that province are also on the list. Let's say good afternoon to our reporter. Itumeleng Khajane. First, Itumeleng, about the conference itself. Has it gotten underway? Well, good
2: afternoon, Bongi. What is happening now is that uh, they are still busy trying to address the issue of accreditation because they say that uh, in most cases uh, they struggle when getting to the venue because of um, sometimes people would go there without any accreditation. So that issue is being addressed about a kilometer from the venue uh, where this conference will be held.
0: And the conference is looking at uh, the names of of, uh, candidates who represent the ANC at local level and at national level uh, after the 2014 elections, correct?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. basically uh, the branches of the ANC in the Northwest Province have already had shown the names of people whom they would like to represent them in the national uh, government as well as in the provincial legislature here. Now, they have sent so many names, more than 300 names, let's say that. And then today what is going to happen is that they are going to arrange this list. For instance, they have a list of province to province. That is where they want people who would be representing them in the provincial legislature. As they would like to have 300 people considering the seat that the agency is currently having in the provincial legislature. And then they will also choose the names of the people that would represent them in the national government uh, or in the local government. And then they are going to choose a certain number. If you get more votes today, then it means that you have the that, uh, an op- opportunity to represent ANC North West in the provincial uh, and then in the national government. And then they are also going to decide as to whether they would like President Jacob Zuma to continue being the president of the country, whether they would like to have Sip Ramaphosa being the deputy president of uh, the country in, after the 2014 general elections. But basically for now, we also understand that they, they would like to see or rather, let me say, in the list that has, has not yet been arranged, President Jacob Zuma is number one, and then followed by Cyril Ramaphosa there, Batabile Zamini, Naledi Pando, and then Filma Pulani is also on that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is basically uh, the former treasurer,
0: of the ANCJ in Northwest Province. Let's uh, stay in the Northwest uh, for a while here, and, and talk us through uh, some names, uh, prominent names uh, that would be uh, of those who've made it onto the list, and uh, those who were unfortunate. We, we, we hear of uh, former uh, MECs, for instance, who were expelled by Thandi Modise, or when Thandi Modise took over as Premier, they, they've made a, a serious comeback.
2: Okay, basically what's happening here is that um, currently on the list that has not yet been arranged, uh, we have uh, Supra he is the chairperson of the ANC in the Northwest, he's currently topping the list, but they are going to have to arrange the list, he might not be on top of that list, he might still be on top. And then we have Mangetikate. Kate is the current MEC of local government here in the Northwest Province. She was once a mayor of uh, the Tsua'in so local municipality. She was also uh, chosen by the ANC. Uh, to be the mayor in the Ngakamudiri Mulema District Municipality, but uh, the councillors there refused to vote her in saying that, accusing her of having failed to uh, run the local municipality now, saying that she cannot even run uh, the, the district municipality, then they decided to vote against her. And then we have the 18, uh secretary uh, in the Northwest Province, Gordon Kehakiwe. But what's happened is that we have China Dodo. She She's not on the list of people who represent the ANC in the province. They are basically saying that they they would like to, you know, send him to the national government. China is the uh, former MEC of local government in the Northwest. He was uh, suspended because he he was also the the deputy chairperson of ANC in the province. He was suspended after, you know, uh, being accused of conspiracy to murder uh, relating to that uh, that murder case of uh, ANC secretary in the Dengtui we also have uh, Chowke, um, Mr. Samane Chauke. He is currently the corporate Center in the Northern province, okay. but they would let him
0: to represent them in the government. All right, uh, we well, thank you very much, uh, our reporter in the Northwest. We also know that the ANC there is uh, expected to convene a provincial general council tomorrow. Uh, so we'll be going back to that particular province to get a sense of uh, what is going on there. You know that, uh, that it's, it's a troubled province there when it comes to uh, the issues of uh, the ANC and uh, we've seen uh, Big weights, heavy weights of the NC descending on that uh, province uh, really to try and deal with issues that have been troubling that province for very many years. The Eastern Cape Health Department continues to lose millions of rand of taxpayers' money as a result of corruption and other irregularities. A number of ir- irregularities, including the theft of food meant for patients at Victoria Hospital in Alice, were reported. An investigation by the department also revealed an abuse of petrol cards in Transkine. Uh, 55 uh, officials were fired by the department for fraud, abuse of petrol cards, uh, car parts, theft
3: and corruption. Young Yangafnani reports. Critics say the department is fighting a losing battle when it comes to internal corruption. A recent report shows that 30 doctors were involved in drug thefts which they use in their private practices. There are also allegations that some senior officials are doing business with the department through fraudulent tendering systems. Health MEC Hitalo Kopana says it's not all doom and gloom as all those involved in corruption face the wrath right of the law.
2: Those that we have found are subjected to disciplinary processes and we are dismissing them. And, and surely those people cannot remain in the department if they continue to be corrupt, if they continue to dent the image of the people's government. So... Our resolution is very clear as hell, that either the people are changing their attitude from what they are doing, but they must face the consequences if they are found to be on the wrong side of the law.
3: Opposition parties in the province are calling for harsh actions to be taken to uproot corruption in the department. of COPE and John Cupido of the DA explain.
4: As the Congress of the people we say, this department has collapsed. There's no administration in that department. You can never call it a department if it does not even know how many employees it has. National Department of Health
5: must intervene. Over the last five years, the department has has spent over 108 million rands on legal fees, yet they have not taken one doctor or official to task. So they need to streamline the disciplinary process and come down much much harder on officials that are, are cheating and lying and stealing. We need to get rid of them, we need to streamline the department.
3: Eastern Cape Health Crisis Action Coalition spokesperson Quazim says they are willing to assist the department in addressing its challenges.
2: Ministry and the department, they need to come and sit down with the colleagues so that we'll discuss this issue, so that we'll, we'll make sure that all these issues that we have already raised and the findings that we've already raised in our, in our report are addressed properly. Because we believe the department alone cannot be able to deal with this issue. So they need to just calm down, understand and acknowledge that in some areas, they are really losing money. The state of the uh, the healthcare system at in the, in, uh, the moment in the SNK is in shock.
3: Former head of department, Dr. Silva Pelay, says the department has always been faced with many challenges.
2: The budget was always you're
4: working from a budget deficit of 2.8 billion rand. Then you have problems about the HR and you have a service delivery platform that is non-sustainable. On top of all of that, if you have incompetent people that are frankly corrupt,
6: then you have a serious
4: problem in which
3: should uh, try to rectify. Kobana is vowed not to leave any stone unturned until all corrupt officials in his department are brought to book. Nyangafunani, SABC News, in the Eastern Cape.
0: 20 minutes past 12. This is Midday Live, SAFM 104-107. Our top story this hour: Two SANDF Roy Flag uh, attack helicopters have arrived in the war torn eastern DRC to bolster the United Nations brigade mandated to rid the area of rebels. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at one thousand three hundred and thirty five dollars and seventy seven cents an ounce. Platinum is at one thousand four hundred and sixty one dollars and eighty and sixty five cents an ounce. The rand is trading at nine rand ninety four cents against the U.S. dollar. It's at 15 93 to the pound, and at 13 rand 62 cents to the euro.
7: Dude, your mom is so fat. Uh, she went on a soup diet, like she can only have soup for a whole week, Nothing else.
8: Just shame.
7: Well, your, your mom's so fat that
9: she has to buy her shoes in a very special place. Uh, because I don't know where you get shoes that accommodate
7: feet like she has. There's only one place to get your daily dose of comedy Catch on the Couch, Thursday nights at 8 p.m., only on SABC3. Set
6: in the delta of the Mississippi, a 14 year old and his made Neckbone find a boat up at sea on one of the islands in the river. Just boat off. Their boat is actually inhabited by mud. A man on the run from the police and from bounty hunters.
7: Someone's here.
10: What?
7: Someone's waiting in a boat. Never said your name. Mud.
10: you can call mud. Mud will be showing in cinemas on the 7th of December.
0: We talked to the spokesperson for the Marikana Commission of Inquiry now, Tsepo Matlango. The presidency says the application for extension of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry into last year's deaths at Marikana is receiving high priority and has been processed. Presidential spokesperson, Meg says what is left now is for the president to apply his mind to the request before granting the extension. The Commission, meanwhile, continues today with uh, the cross-examination of a uh, public order policing expert Lieutenant Colonel Duncan Scott. For more on this now, uh, Mr. Matlangu, good afternoon to you. As things stand, today is the last day of uh, the Marikana Commission of Inquiry.
11: Good afternoon, Mungi, and good afternoon to all your listeners. Indeed, today marks the end of the... Uh, proceedings, the hearings in the Americana Commission, as it were, in terms of the current regulations. Uh, as you correctly pointed out earlier on, uh, indeed, an application was made, the percent of justice and economic development, uh, which in terms of process and procedure, it has to then uh, be taken to the office of the President, uh, allowing both parties uh, to apply their mind you know, in the contents of the application and therefore uh, grant the extension as uh, per what is contained in that application.
0: All right, uh, and uh, the expectation, obviously, is that the President is going to extend, and uh, he's still applying his mind. He can do it today, tomorrow, he can do it in two months' time. So what does that then mean to the Commission and the proceedings? Because uh, you still have uh, quite a number of uh, witnesses who are yet to take the stand.
11: Yes, uh, the, the president it's it really his prerogative uh, to really be given enough time and space to be able to can apply his mind. And indeed, um, what the commission has been told uh, today, and that is what the, the judge, uh, the chair of the commission announced today in the hearings earlier uh, this morning, was that uh, the com- commission has been given that assurance that the proclamation will indeed be signed today, which then obviously gives effect to the continuation of the commission, as such.
0: And in your application, by how much would you like to see the president extend the hearings by?
11: Well, it seems it is a request that the commission makes, uh, and of course things can change depending on uh, opinions uh, or uh, what is contained in the application. It is really the prerogative of the President uh, to decide uh, how much time he gives or he allocates the Commission for it to be able to uh, complete it. But I how much, how much time
0: campaign. do you need, uh, uh, considering the number of witnesses yet to, to testify?
11: I would like to tell you what is contained in the application in respect of the, the, the time that the Commission has requested. But I think it, it will be put, putting under due pressure On the uh, process itself, uh, uh, you know, in that it will, will, uh, make it difficult for them, uh, as it were, you know, to to present maybe a different case. Mm. What I can say is that uh, indeed there is time allocation that the the commission has actually requested, but really we respect the judgement in respect of uh, uh, granting uh, the. speculating how much time they would want the Commission to be able to kind of fulfill its work.
0: But uh, Mr. Masango, as of today, the last day of uh, the, the, the Commission, how how far are you? How far are you from really wrapping it up, in your view? How many witnesses are still uh, outstanding, really?
11: The Commission has interviewed uh, no less than 22 witnesses to date. Uh, On record, there's still about 28 more to go. But obviously, um, these are matters um, that the Commission has to decide on, uh, particularly around uh, who will be called to come and testify. The participants, in terms of procedure, the Commission made an application to say, we would want so-and-so-and-so to come and testify. And uh, they would also have, have to advance their reason to why they believe so and so and so is crucial uh, to the court as to come and testify. It then becomes the decision of the commissioners themselves uh, to say yes
0: or no. So would it be fair then to to say that uh, you you may need another 12 months or slightly more than that because uh, in the last 12 months you've only done 22 and 28 still to go.
11: Well, it, it does change from time to time. It really depends on how much evidence has been laid before the Commission. It may happen as well, the possibility, that the Commission might feel that indeed it has enough facts, it has a certain enough facts, uh, or enough understanding of what happened in Maracana is concerned. And thereby right. say we would not need these the more witnesses to come and testify. But we are satisfied uh, about what we have to, to do today. So it's a possibility that it might actually happen. But right. the position, as I said, relies solely
0: on the commissioners themselves. Tepo the spokesperson for the Maracana Commission of Inquiry. Thank you. It is almost a month now since uh, 366 migrants died trying to get into the Italian island uh, of uh, Lampedusa, putting the focus on uh, European migration policy on Italy. However, Greece's Lesbo island, uh, the country's uh, third largest and a place of extraordinary natural beauty, has long been another of Europe's key gateways for migrants. With Greece in the midst of the worst economic crisis in its history, resources to tackle the influx are, re- are stretched. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports.
8: The vast Aegean, where the hopes of reaching Europe still burn bright. We're on patrol with the Greek coast guard off Lesbos Island, combing the EU's southeast border for illegal immigrants. It's a key gateway and a perilous journey but numbers are soaring.
0: I hope and I will ask for more support from uh, EU member states, Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stop uh, if this help, if this assistance doesn't come. We have to protect our our country, we have to protect from uh, the criminal networks.
8: It's a now familiar scene, overcrowded boats docking here recently. They are the lucky ones who made it. Plenty don't. And Greece says Europe must do more. This year alone, almost 4,500 migrants have tried to cross these waters into Lesbos. Since police increased controls on the land border with Turkey, it's now the islands bearing the brunt. And Greece, in the midst of its worst economic crisis in living memory, with resources already stretched beyond limit, is struggling to cope with the influx. We weren't allowed inside the center where the arrested are taken. Syrians are held briefly and then given six months stay in Greece. Others are detained for longer and must leave the country within a month.
10: I feel desperate. I feel uh, ashamed when they talk to us about the problems they have and they face in my country. And I feel very angry because I believe we can change something and we don't. Most of them, they are like us. They are going away from a difficult situation and they just need to be supported.
8: At an NGO camp, we met this Afghan mother and her children in their cramped room.
10: <laughs>
8: she talks of hopes dashed, her husband arrested, a treacherous crossing as her youngest fell overboard. It wasn't worth it, she says. Europe wasn't worth it. Many drown on the way, ending up here. Only a few are identified. Before leaving for Europe, they had names and lives. Now they're reduced to this. At the ferry to Athens, we met some young Syrians. They paid 1,300 euros each to get to Europe. My family doesn't want his son to die in his eyes. So my
3: family say, go out, go out, go out from Syria. I'm looking for a free life, to be
8: myself, to build myself first and go back to Syria. All they have is one bag and their dreams. How many more will follow in their wake? Before the tide of immigration is stemmed.
0: The BBC's MacLoan. Just after half past, Utsile Saku has the headlines. Good afternoon. Shadow trailer. Good afternoon to you. Your your interview yesterday with uh, the <laughs> pagan religion really got me thinking a great deal. And and I know you're pursuing a Satanist as well.
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
9: I got a lot of response hey, from from that, and I think uh, it it it's raised uh, debates, and we're going to have it again with more people who would like that same platform to clarify a few things. And I like it when when that happens on radio because it means we continue the discussions.
0: Are we scared to talk about these things, though?
9: Yes, because you know um, we we it, it just it's dark. It's too dark for us, and we'd rather not go there. And yet. When you start talking about an understanding, especially in, 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 our, in our democratic country, and understanding that other people are free to practice whatever it is they practice, and the more we understand, the better.
0: All right. On the brighter side today, what's happening between one and two?
9: Well, we're talking... Well, I'm not sure how bright it is, <laughs> but we're talking to Director of Engender, Bernadette Mutian, on human trafficking for sexual exploitation. And we also talked to uh, award-winning theater director, Onsien Makoro, who has started a concern through the Olive Tree Production Company, concern for women, by women, and about women.
0: We'll see you then between 1 and 2 this afternoon. Here on SAFM, it's otherwise, Uh, it's uh, 27 minutes to 1. The National Freedom Party has held a media briefing today to talk about the ballot recount in two wards at Kwanongoma in Natal. The Independent Electoral Commission appointed an independent company which indeed confirmed that uh, the NFP uh, indeed won uh, the two wards. The IFP lost three wards in closely contested by elections in Nongoma in KwaZulu-Natal. That's according to results posted on the Independent Electoral Commission's website uh, as of uh, today. The Inkata Freedom Party uh, on Wednesday lost two wards to Breakaway Group, the NFP. All right, uh, let's talk to Ntlandra Kumbisa right now, Secretary General uh, of uh, Kumbisa. Yes, all right, Mr. Kumbisa. Kumbisa, all right. Thank you very much. You speak on behalf of uh, the NFP. What can you tell us about uh, these results?
4: No, thank you very much, my brother. You know, these results, uh, to us, uh, serve as as a huge uh, as we are gathering momentum for 2014 provincial and national elections. You know, the people of Longwa are sending a message out there that the NFP is a force to be reckoned with, and we are ready as a party to contest uh, the national election. But I want to that the people of Longwa are saying to us they are well aware as, as a party, we are thoroughly and, and greatly involved in service delivery and development. Uh, my dear, my brother, uh, in 2011, uh, during the 2011 local government elections, the NFP got uh, achieved and got uh, 13 words in Ongoma, out of 21 words. And now that, that we have managed uh, to get these two words, it means now we've got 15 words at the party. Therefore, I must say, uh, it shows, therefore, that the people of Nongoma are
0: showing confidence okay. in what we are doing as a party. Mr. Kumbis, how important was it for the NFP to win these two awards in Gwanongoma? And what is the meaning of that? Because uh, you have been in, uh, in, in hung municipalities uh, with, uh, and, and uh, co-governing co- with the ANC in, in many parts of, of the country. And you were quoted as saying the NFP, that is, that uh, you would want to, to go it solo now.
4: You know, let me begin there, my brother. As we will be contesting national elections, we are going to contest them just alone as the NFP. We will not be entering into any kind of a measure and any kind of a coalition. But with regard to us being in a, a working relationship, a, a working uh, arrangement with the NC, that is going to continue because that is the arrangement that we it, it will stand for, for five years. In Nogoma, for instance, uh, we now have got 21 seats out of 42 seats. In other words, as a party, uh, we are left with only one seat to be a majority. But it does not mean that uh, we are going to tamper with our memorandum of understanding with the NC. The working arrangement with the NC is still going to continue. Uh, it will not, never be disturbed now that we, are, we have won. Even if we become a majority, because that agreement stands, Mm. Uh, we are working well uh, with the N.C. and We who are pushing service delivery, pushing back the, the funders of property, and ensuring that uh, the people
0: out there do get service delivery and development. But do you because think...
4: Because all we want the people from do, do, do you think... <laughs>
0: Do you think the ANC the the ANC will trust you now uh, to continue working with you? Yes, of course they need you in many other parts uh, of of the of the province there. But that you have uh, come out and said that uh, you are you are tired of uh, this uh, relationship and you want to you want to govern alone. And uh, in fact, if you had won all three wards in Gwanagoma, you would have done it alone, and uh, and the NC would would not even be, be been part of uh, in, in part of your plan.
4: You know, that will govern alone in Nogoma and dish out the ANC is neither here nor there. Nogoma is a hungry strategy whereby we're governing with the ANC. We are saying at the NFP, our MOU with the ANC is intact. Where we we have challenges, we sit down at the 5% at the provincial level. And uh, within the districts, and we've got the two aside at the local level, within the local municipality level, we've got the, the two aside again. Sure. Our winning in Nongoma has nothing to do with the memorandum of understanding and the working arrangement or working relationship that we have with the N.C. That is intact. It's
3: okay. there.
4: We signed it. It's for five years. We took a resolution at our national conference that we work with the N.C. Uh, in, within those hands, there were 98 in fact. Well, there were, again, in fact, 1,900 municipalities where no party got a clear majority to allow it to govern it alone. Okay. I mean, the, the ISP approached us, the ISP us, and then
0: at the end of it all, we, we decided uh, that we'll work with the ANC. But okay. then as we go for the national election.
4: We are going
0: to contest alone as a party. got you. All right, I got you. Thank you very much. And Tanta Kumbisa is the secretary general and uh, the national spokesperson for the National Freedom Party. At 20 minutes to 12, uh, make it to one. The KwaZulu Natal Department of Economic Development and Tourism says it will blacklist suppliers who falsify declarations of interest when they bid for contracts. The department's top officials, led by MEC Michael Mabuyakulu, appeared before the provincial standing committee on public accounts scopa during audit hearings the department received an unqualified audit opinion with matters of emphasis in audit outcomes of the 2012 2013 financial year Zanel Butelezi compiled this report for us
10: the department incurred 20.8 million rand in irregular expenditure due to the inadequate review of the supply chain management processes According to the Auditor General, the AG found that management did not monitor compliance with the Public Finance Management Act and the Supply Chain Management and Treasury regulations in respect of the submissions of declaration of interest forms and tax clearance certificates. He found that quotations were procured from suppliers who did not have tax clearance certificates from SARS. Contracts and quotations were awarded to bidders, who did not submit a declaration on whether they are employed by the state or connected to any persons employed by the state. Head of department, Desmond Golding, says suppliers do provide the department with incorrect information. He says most of the time they do pick up this information, and at times it would be picked up by the AG.
6: So what we have done currently, che, as a concrete uh, action in this particular regard is that uh, Any company that would have found, that would have falsified um, their declaration would blacklist them in terms of the PFMA that they will not be allowed to do business with the department or any other government department.
10: The department is also taking a hotline approach on the late payment of service providers. Golding says they would like to reduce the number of payments made after 30 days to at least less than 10%.
6: We are taking a very hard-line approach because, as the Department of Economic Development and Tourism, we are responsible for ensuring that we promote SMME, that we have said to the officials, both as top management as well as executive committee and the staff, is that it's either you shape in or you shape out. Because we cannot allow a situation where invoices are being raised with all the documentation and are not paid in time. So that is a firm and a concrete decision that we are taking
10: to percent person of Scopa CPOKK Ngozi lauded what appears to be a good coordination between the department and its entities. He says almost all the more than 15 entities received clean audits. Ngozi says he hopes this was the last year that the department appeared before Scopa.
4: I think that we are tired as Scopa to meet with you during the audit hearings. I believe that next year You are not going to show your faces to us. We are tired of meeting with you.
10: Golding says the audit outcomes for the 2012-2013 financial year give them an indication that they are moving towards a clean audit. Zanella Boutilezi, S.A.B.C. News, Durban.
0: Further afield, the UN Special Rapporteur for Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territories has called on the General Assembly to seek an opinion from the International Court of Justice over Israel's decades-long occupation of Palestinian land. A fierce critic of Israel as an independent expert who serves under the auspices of the UN, Professor Richard Falk, also encourages corporations to withdraw their profit-making activities with Israeli settlements, which have been deemed illegal under international uh, law, but uh, let's see if we can talk to uh, Patrick Kelly here, uh, who is uh, with uh, Stats SA. Uh, as you heard, South Africa's headline producer inflation was unchanged at 6.7% year-on-year in September compared with August. That's according to the statistics South Africa uh, Today Economist, polled by uh, Reuters, had expected PPI to quicken uh, slightly to 6.75% year-on-year in uh, September. Patrick Kelly, Executive Manager responsible for Price Statistics at uh, Stats SA, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. What can you tell us about uh, the producer price index? Uh, We we see that uh, they were unchanged at 6.7%. What is the meaning of this?
5: Well, it means that overall uh, prices, uh, let's call it at the factory gate, uh, which is the products that we manufacture in our factories uh, across the country, uh, on average remain the same year-on-year as they had last month. Uh, But looking just at the year-on-year figure, it does hide a number of uh, features. Uh, that that we could talk about. Uh, I think one of the most uh, interesting one is really to look at food and beverages, uh, which is at 6.1% in manufacturing. This is the highest uh, number that we've had since we introduced the the new PPI this year. Mm. Uh, We we could also look at food, for example, at the the agricultural level, where it's uh, up to 4.5% year on year this month compared to 3.5% last month. Mm. Uh, and And further on food, I mean we also saw uh, some some big increases in food in the CPI. so it does appear that overall there's pressure on on food products uh, across the the production chains.
0: I would like for us to look at uh, the the other four because you, you release five industry specific producer price indices uh, but uh, that this is unchanged. the the headline, producer inflation is unchanged, does it mean that uh, then there wasn't too much change in the uh, input costs?
5: Well, uh, there's a variety of features. I I mean, one of the factors that we are seeing coming through is the impact of the depreciation of the RAND over the last number of months. So those manufactured goods that have quite a lot of imported uh, input costs uh, or or components, uh, we are seeing uh, significant increases. Motor vehicles would be one example of that.
0: Mm. And, uh, and the other uh, sectors that, uh, that you sampled
5: Yes, yeah, so we also have a PPI for intermediate manufactured goods Which are those that are going to be further produced uh, That was at 79 this month That actually dropped down a bit from the 11% in August uh, Electricity and water uh, was at 12.9% This was a big jump up from uh, the 3.6% that we recorded the previous uh, month Uh, Now, electricity in particular has very seasonal patterns where ISCOM uh, has a winter rate and a summer rate, and it would appear that there was some shifting of the months where they make that change from from the winter to the summer tariff, uh, which has contributed to to the higher uh, electricity PPI. Uh, Mining PPI is at 4.1%. This is also down a bit from the 10%, 10 10.4% that we had recorded in August. And then finally, uh, which I think is of interest to to consumers that I was touching on earlier, the agriculture, forestry and fishing PPI was at 4.5%, which uh, was up quite a lot from the 3.5% that we had recorded in August.
0: 6.7% here on the end September uh, compared with August, so no change there. Is it a good thing, though?
5: Well, look, uh, we do want uh, inflation to not be excessive. Uh, the Reserve Bank for CPI has a range of 3 to 6%. So one can't draw a direct correlation between the PPI and the CPI, but uh, the, one, one obviously would like the PPI to be in a range uh, that, that would, would help the CPI to, to keep that Reserve Bank target.
0: And that would be under 6%
5: well uh not necessarily it, it depends on the on the feed through between the, the the PPI and the CPI so one could particularly look at uh for example uh the food products uh, that i was referring to earlier which uh are at 6.1% which is actually slightly lower than the food CPI number at the moment
0: Patrick Kelly, thank you very much. Always a pleasure talking to you. Executive manager responsible for price statistics at Stats SA. With that, then we give you your lunchtime market updates. Clinton Smith, portfolio manager at Susfin Securities. Thanks for holding on uh, for slightly longer. Uh, we're talking figures here, and uh, I wonder how the markets are looking today, reacting to that.
12: Yes, well, internationally our markets are trading a little lower today, but, uh, but the weaker RAND is, is supporting our resource companies slightly, and, and we're trading more or less flat overall. Uh, at the moment, we've got the gold board down one, 2.1%. Uh, resources are down 0.1%. Uh, industrials are up 0.1% and financials down 0.3%. Uh, overall, though, the market's down just 12 points at the moment at uh, 45,600.
0: And uh, Sun International gave us an update on their business today.
12: Uh, Yes, Sun International put out uh, an update for their quarter to the end of September. Uh, Said casino revenue was down uh, about 1% with with no growth coming out of South Africa and uh, takings in Chile affected by the anti-smoking laws uh, introduced there recently. Uh, The hospitality side of the business was a little better with uh, room revenues up by about 34%. But Sun International currently trading 3.6% lower after the the update at uh, 100 Rand and 71 cents.
3: Uh,
0: And uh, just uh, some of uh, the big movers today on the market.
12: Uh trading high today we've got brakes up three point six percent at 48.75. seventy uh, five. Robex is up two point three percent at twenty-three ninety eight, uh Aveng's up one point eight percent at thirty Rand thirty seven and Elovo is up one point seven percent at thirty-one forty-eight. Uh trading lower, life healthcare is down three point nine percent at the moment at forty-one Rand. Uh Goldfield's down two point nine percent at forty-six fifty-five. Uh, African banks down one point seven percent at seventeen Rand. And lastly, we've got NAMPAC down 1.3% at 33.27. And
0: uh, your latest market indicators,
12: please. Uh, gold price is currently $1,334 an ounce, so I've got platinum at $1,462. Uh, Brent crude is $108.69 a barrel. Uh, yield on the R157 is 5.77%. And then finally on the Rand, we're trading uh, 9 dollars to the dollar, uh, 13 dollars to the euro, and 15 rand 94 to the pound. And that's it for me.
0: Thanks, Ed Clinton-Smith, Portfolio Manager, Sassun Securities. Let's talk wine issues now. According to a research by America's Morgan Stanley, a financial services firm, the world is facing a wine shortage with global consumer demand already significantly outstripping supply. The report also says that the demand for wine exceeded supply by 300 millimeter, millimeter cases in 2012. It has described this as the deepest shortfall in over 40 years of records. Last year, production also dropped to its lowest levels in more than four decades. Global production has been steadily declining since its peak in 2004 when supply outweighed demand by about 600 milliliter cases. The BBC's Emily Thomas reports.
7: Could it be time for wine lovers to rethink their drink of choice? The US financial services firm Morgan Stanley has warned of a global wine shortage. They say it's the greatest shortfall since records began 40 years ago. The problem is that production is falling and demand is rising. Global production reached its peak in 2004. Supply outweighed demand by about 600 million cases production has been steadily declining since then and last year it dropped to its lowest levels in at least four decades. Demand exceeded supply by 300 million cases. That's roughly the same amount of wine as the whole of the UK drinks in two years. The fall in production can largely be blamed on poor weather in Europe which produces almost 60% of the world's wine. Industry capacity here has been declining for the past decade. Output from newer producers like Argentina, Chile and New Zealand has already peaked. But global demand is rising. The US and China are the main drivers of growth. Consumption in China has doubled twice in the past five years. The country is likely to become the world's largest consumer by 2016. For now, France and the US consume the most, about 12%. Italy and China follow. Then Germany. Russia and the UK. More people drinking wine, more people asking the all-important question, will prices rise?
10: My guess is that they will only go up marginally um, because I think that the industry will respond.
2: whether well, is a factor, but of course in the succeeding season it's also possible to prune, um, to irrigate, to fertilize in a way that can boost production.
7: The report's authors predict that in the short term, consumption will be mostly supplied by previous vintages. But as consumption inevitably turns to the 2012 vintage, the shortfall could lead to higher prices. Reassurance of a sort for wine lovers then. Prices will go up, but the industry is likely to do all it can to prevent shelves from going bare.
0: The BBC's Emily Thomas there reporting, I don't know where I got um, milliliters there, it's actually 600 million cases. I think it's cases of 750 uh, liters. Then, all right. Uh, that report by the BBC. We're hoping to talk to a wine expert there. Uh, that's uh, Michael Frijon. He is uh, on the line to uh, talk us uh, further uh, about uh, this uh, particular issue. As uh, you heard, that uh, uh, the, the the report uh, suggests that the demand for wine exceeded supply by 300 million cases in 2012, and. Uh, Far back in 2004, supply also outweighed demand by about 600 million cases. Uh, Michael Fridjian, good afternoon to you. Hi, good afternoon. What do we attribute this to?
13: Well, a a few things have played a role. Firstly, and very clearly, the global financial crisis discouraged farmers from putting down new vineyards. It's an expensive investment if you don't think you're going to sell your wine at the right price. But secondly, of course, the European community which in many ways has been subsidizing wine through the common agricultural policy, has started to withdraw those subsidies, which means that, once again, farmers are not keen to be exposed at at those sorts of levels. So there's been a reduction in planting and a reduction at the places where wine was at its cheapest. At the same time, we've seen an enormous growth in wine consumption from the Chinese market, And I must say the Chinese have also been planting a lot of vineyards which aren't yet in production, or not all of them, and that means that the demand at the moment is exceeding Chinese supply. The Americans have pretty much doubled their consumption since the year 2000. So you've got increasing wine consumption as people move away from spirits, for example, to the much healthier alternative of wine. Producers or growers haven't kept up with it, and, of course, we are in a period of temporary shortage.
0: Mm. Uh, I, I see here uh, when Chinese move in, they move in big time. I mean, uh, they, they're drinking all the wine. Look at what they're doing, buying uh, U.S. bonds there in, in numbers. But uh, does this then mean that uh, there is uh, space for, for new players really to come in and, and assist the industry uh, reach, uh, you know, be able to cope with, uh, with the demand?
13: The answer to that is yes and no. Firstly, the industry, in fact, certainly in this country, has been under-recovering on production for some time. So the first thing that will happen as bulk prices move up is that um, at least people will be recovering more of their costs. But to be completely honest, if you want to compete in the bulk end of the industry, you need to have industrial plantings. In other words, you need to have large sites with irrigation, with mechanical harvesting. with You have to mechanize to be in that game. And there are producers in the Northern Cape who certainly can get the yields and manage their businesses like that, but it's not, it's not for people who want to move into Stellenbosch, have a boutique wine farm, and hope that they can meet the sudden demand because of a shortage at the bottom of the
0: market. Can South Africa, we know that we're producers uh, we produce of good wine, by the way, but can South Africa, can the government realize that, uh, that there is a greenfield here and, and invest heavily in this and boost this so that we, we fill this gap?
13: They certainly can. The irrigation areas in the Northern Cape, for example, uh, which were developed in the 1950s in a similar situation, are potentially areas which could supply. We have the sunlight, we have the irrigation water, we have the technology. So at the bulk end of the industry, we need to move to locations where you can exploit the opportunity of this, and in, at an industrial level, it's certainly possible to do business on this basis. It's also possible that as this business grows, the bottom end of our market will get more money. I'm tracking an increase in bulk wine prices in South Africa in sympathy with this trend, And that also means that there are export opportunities, particularly into Africa, where there's also an increased demand for wine.
0: And and can we target certain regions? I know that uh, you said China's got their own vineyards right now. But can we target certain regions, for instance, the U.S. and those regions that are struggling to grow their own uh, and and, and produce their own wine, so that we lock down those contracts and know that that we are focusing on supplying them uh, a great deal?
13: Not really, no. China, perhaps, where we've seen a fabulous increase in demand driven by a couple of companies and a joint venture with some Chinese investors in South Africa. So, yes, we can do that. America's had good harvests. Americans still are big consumers of their own domestic wine. So I can't see those as a market for the bulk end. Of course, we are targeting America for our premium producers. But I think we could spend more time and effort developing the markets in the East and do so very successfully.
0: And briefly, what about Africa?
13: Well, as I said, there's been an increased demand from Africa. We've seen the growth there. It's predicted, I think, in five years from now that the consumer uh, demand in Africa for goods and services will reach $1.3 trillion. And South Africa is one of the nearest supply markets there. Our wines are already selling in East Africa, in West Africa, and, of course, in our neighboring states. So there's an opportunity there for us to develop a business that's better than bulk wine Mm. and leads to added value uh, benefits for the South African community because we'll be selling that wine in bottle with the packaging and freight costs to the benefit of South African exporters and producers.
0: We thank you very much, Michael Fijon, who is the director at Reciprocal Wine Trading, uh, talking about uh, the shortage of wine there. 2004, you have an oversupply of 300 million cases. Uh, eight years down the line have a uh, demand uh, outweighing supply uh, by 600 million cases there. Thanks to the teams, Therese LeGamin and Mandy Amkrelu. Mark as is our technical producer today. Namadis Mandela, our senior producer, and Busi Chan and are our executive producers. I'll be back for your Friday edition of uh, Midday Live here on SFM 104 to 107 tomorrow. Otherwise, it's up next with uh, Shadow Twala between 1 and 2. But first, the news at 1 with Utsile Saku. Goodbye.